This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Liz Carlson, and we cover a little bit of everything from her journey to being a leader, how we're all equal, being the artistic director at New York Stage and Film, and to breathe and be kind, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Liz Carlson. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Liz Carlson. Liz, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about New York Stage and Film, your journey to that organization, and your journey through the entertainment industry at large. Before we get to any of that, though, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? It's interesting because I fell into an entertainment career accidentally, I would say. I definitely grew up with arts as a central interest, but first in visual art. I was a painter and a drawer, and then, you know, I think as most kids do, fine theater in high school. Um, but recreationally, in college, my job was to paint the sets. My friends were all in the theater, but I was studying art history and history and, you know, seemed to always gravitate towards storytelling. Um, and it wasn't until I was given an opportunity to direct in my senior year of college and to run the student theater company where suddenly I was introduced to directing and producing. And that's where things sort of clicked for me, which was, oh, I can gravitate towards storytelling, gravitate towards a visual medium, and also these skills that I had in leadership and management that sort of coalesced around an interest in pursuing um, the facilitating side of art. Was there, you're a leader, I will say you're a leader in the entertainment industry. Was there a defining moment for you being a leader and having that, you know, oh, this is fun, I'm painting sets and participating to, I'm gonna call the meeting. Kind of <laughs> I think uh, when I got to the end of that first experience um, running that student theater company, when I reflected back on everything I'd helped to bring together, the artists who were my peers in college and the audience members who came in and people responding to the story we were telling, it, I saw the ripple effect of leading an arts process. And so then I went immediately into graduate school for directing um, and then I, I think the most seminal experience I had, which ties into all of this actually, is my first professional internship was actually with New York Stage and Film. And I was the producing intern for Joanna Felzer, who was the artistic director at the time, who remains a good friend and mentor. And watching this incredibly smart, graceful, gracious woman, who also happened to be a mother, lead this organization of artists developing new stories completely rerouted the trajectory of my directing and producing career. Mm. Are there any takeaway lessons from that time as a producing intern, any standout interactions or meetings or anything that come to mind? Yeah, I think what I saw was that in an industry that, um, you know, is driven by a business, understandably, whether you're in commercial or even in nonprofit realm, there was this place that needed to exist where artists could be artists. Artists could be in a state of vulnerability and in process and in development. And that I saw to be kind of the purpose behind my presence in this industry as well, to create space that served in that way. Because that's where I saw um, the most authentic state of artistry, whether it was like artist to artist or artist to audience member happening. And I wanted to help perpetuate that. 
That could be a real balance, can it, between running a business, because it is a business, to giving that space and, you know, space to breathe <laughs> and to be open and vulnerable to create your best work. Thanks for hopping around. We're going to hop around here. Uh, growing up, any standout lessons or what did your parents teach you about work ethic? Uh, I had parents who were both appreciative of the arts and of, I think, strong work ethic, which is you know, kind of what's helped driven my whole career because I am, um, you know, a very structured human who, who thrive, who, who like really likes to create a stable foundation of structure around me because I think when you have that, there's a great freedom that can then um, exist on top of that. Like your bone structure needs to be really strong so that, you know, the muscle that builds on top of that can be toned in different ways just to really run with that metaphor. Um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. I had parents who like, you know, had met during high school choir. And so they, yeah. you know, my mother taught all of us to play piano growing up and my great grandmother lived across the street. She taught me how to paint. So like, there was always this, like this acceptance, like art is a part of life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when me and a few of my other siblings were interested in pursuing art as a career, there wasn't really any resistance. There was just, you know, how do you, how do you make it, how do you find a path forward and how do you make that a sustainable life, which mm -hmm. isn't always easy, frankly. Yeah. If we could talk for a moment on the structure, the bone structure you reference, uh, how, how do you structure your, your, I, I guess we could start with like day or week and then projects and like year, you know, how do you kind of structure all of it <laughs> in your brain? <laughs> There's aspects of my life that force structure because I have, you know, I run an organization that has a very specific cycle. So we work yeah. towards a summer season every year. We have an annual gala in like, you know, the late fall, early winter. Um, and then we have, you know, different programmatic points throughout the calendar year. So there's a the natural project management that comes with how you hit those goals. And I've been around this organization, you know, in and out for 15 years. So I know that cycle. I also have two children. So there is an aspect of my life that is driven by a school cycle and where they are in their developmental cycle and needing to like manage childcare in addition yes. to my work. And then I have my personal artistry, my personal directing, my personal writing. And then how do you carve out time for that to meet those, those needs? So it's, um, many cycles. <laughs> it's a lot of color-coded calendars. <laughs> do you have it all in one place? Or is oh, it all yeah, handwritten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Handwritten? Uh, or do you have it on? I have digital calendars for sure. And then I have a, you know, a system of both digital and handwritten to-do lists. It's just, it's, you know, it's different. It's a practice. It's a journey. Management. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you find a balance or how do you find a balance between work and life? Um, Sometimes I find a balance and sometimes I don't. And I think that is both uh, a testament to an industry that frankly hasn't always lent itself to having a vast personal life unless you are exceptionally well-disciplined. I think it's also hard to be a parent still in this industry, though I think there's been a lot of progress made. And certainly at Stage and Film, we do our best to make space for parents to be here and thrive. Um and again, it you know it sort of depends on where we are in the year. Am I a super present parent during the summer season? Nope, probably not. And so how do I make sure that I then am a present parent on the other side of that and mm -hmm. other times throughout the year? And that's, you know, balance with my partner and, and their work cycle mm -hmm. as well. 
Do you, um, do you have any mentors and are there any standout lessons from the mentors? Mm. Uh, I think certainly Joanna Felser, who's former artistic director of New York Station Film, current artistic director of Berkeley Rep. You know, like I said before, she's the first AD I worked for um, in multiple iterations. Uh, I went into labor with my first child in Poughkeepsie during the summer season in 2016, and she drove me to my midwives to have my baby. So we've had a lot of personal and professional experience. Oh, no way. Um, And I think the lessons I've taken from her is... um, you know, a style of leadership that, you know, strives for excellence and excellence, but also that this is a, this is a business of art and that requires a deep level of humanity and graciousness. Um, And that, you know, at the end of the day, our families and our, our personal lives and our friends are what we're going to think about at, at the, the ultimate end of the day. So how do you find satisfaction in the work, but also keep what's most important as your beacon as you drive forward? And how are you doing that? Oh, probably terribly most days, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love an honest conversation. <laughs> but it's a, is there a meditation you're doing? Are you meditating? Are you, you know, finding your, your equilibrium, your zero each day or... I have found this is a pandemic discovery for me, but like running is actually an, is a is a focuser for me because when I run, I can cycle through some like rapid work thoughts, but then also try to bring myself into, um, you know, personal artistic thoughts and kind of just get my heart rate up to then bring it back down again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, you know, I have a seven and a four year old and that's a great way to just like kick your ego (laughs) to the curb and (laughs) remind yourself that there is a level of um experience in this world that you know is is beyond all of this silly business that we do (laughs) you know what you're really you're really hitting the nail on the head there it doesn't really matter like none of this really matters it's fun and it does change. It can change people's lives and it can and it is leaving the world better than we found it. You know, if you're telling the right stories. So it's the right. It's not it's not the wrong stuff. But in reality, like, the you know, as it all matters. And I say this to almost any industry, like it doesn't really matter. What matters is like, are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you loved? Are you loving? <laughs> That's it. And yeah, I agree. And I think really it's in the how of how we do it. So, you know, we're talking the day after our, our 2023 summer season closed. So we just had 200 artists come through here and we helped develop, you know, over 60 stories between our public facing programming and our like residency incubator style programming. And what I'm watching with us is a community that's built on, you know, where we prioritize um, the human experience the artist, the human behind the artist experience, and then making sure all of that is fueling into the work that everybody's mm-hmm. doing. So work can thrive here. People can be exceptionally productive. We mm-hmm. are thinking about these stories that we want to then go on and have success in a business-oriented cycle, but we are doing it here by by saying, how do you, individual artists, need to be supported to do that most effectively? And to hear the feedback of like, oh, I can be here and breathe and do my work and be productive and be joyful is really impactful. And we've been having a lot of conversations in this this industry of like, 
how are we doing this? How are we coming together? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what we've really been thinking a lot about and um, yeah, addressing over time. You know, it's interesting too, because historically the way producers might handle artists is with, you know, white gloves, uh, you know, kid gloves and not really speaking to someone, you know, as an equal within this, you know, business. And I, I've personally found education, you know, connecting an information disconnect for the art. Cause a lot of artists don't even realize what steps it takes, you know, to put a show on a stage commercially. And I feel like that can also help so greatly <laughs> having that line of communication. Yeah, no, transparency is absolutely key. We also like to say that Poughkeepsie, where we do our summer season, is the great equalizer because we don't care. And I say this, this is a a nice thing that I'm saying. We don't care who you are, meaning we don't care if you've been doing this for five days. If you Mm. are have 50 Tonys, Mm. you artists need a space where you can be in that authentic state of process and discovery where Mm -hmm. you can fail and fall down and maybe pick yourself back up and, you know, be shown the same respect as everybody else. Um, and we've really seen how impactful that can be when people can kind of walk through the like vortex of our, our barrier and be on that same plane as everyone else. Yeah. I love that. How do you find the balance between letting things happen and making things happen? In what way? (laughs) Let's talk about producing. We'll talk about producing new works. Maybe we can put it through that lens. Mm. Oh, sure. I think the way I'm interpreting that question from my point of view as an artistic director is, you know, watching an artist be in a state of process and sometimes needing them to follow through on a question that maybe you can see like, oh, I'm not sure that's necessarily where you want that to go. But sometimes an artist needs to experience that to know that in their bones. And so it comes with, you know, how well do you know this artist? Where are they in their career? Where are they in their process? If someone's so early in their process, that's not a time to like tap them with barriers. That's a time to encourage (laughs) thought and question and pushing. If someone's like nearing the finger quotes finish line, how can you with specificity guide them towards where you can see them wanting to be. And that I think just comes with um, experience and <laughs> making a few mistakes along the way and how you guys. And again, going back to before, like transparent communication with your artists, you know, do you, do you want a piece of feedback on X? Can I ask you a question about X? You know, where's your brain at? How can I, as a producer, help your process? And it's my job to be responsive to how they're going to hear and um, grow. When it comes to directing, how have you gotten better? Honestly, artistic direct, I mean, really any of these titles that you've, you've held or are holding, how have you gotten better at communicating? Hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, it's come, it's been a long process of knowing what a note or a question driven solely by me, by who I am in this world. This is coming from Liz Carlson's experience Hmm. versus this is a note or a question coming from the work that I see on the page or the work that I see in the actor. Hmm. And I think acknowledging that one in communication 
uh, you know, maybe saying to a person, I have to say this thing. I think it's maybe just coming from my personal point of view, but it's still resonating with me. So is this resonating with you? I, it's, um, you know, uh, yeah. So self-awareness, uh, an increased self-awareness and, and knowing myself better, I think has made me a better director and communicator throughout time. Yeah, that's a really interesting point too. Cause I, I found it's it's helped me so much when I just frame everything as questions as opposed to statements because you're immediately requiring the other person to engage with you. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a sense, because it can get very, I, you're really, I really like that we're talking about this because like, especially when you're in the creative process, it can get very much like, oh, I see it this way. How about this? And they're like, well, I don't see it that way. <laughs> and it's like, okay, maybe that's my own baggage. You know, it's like finding that <laughs> and being, yeah, being, being true to yourself, being honest with yourself is, is so, uh, is so important. Yeah. And frankly, that I don't know. It, it sounds like jargony to say, but like, there is so much power, I think, for a per person in leadership, whether it's the director, it's just like being like, I actually don't know how to answer that right now. And I need to think about that. I need to learn more. I need to ask other people. Or what do you think, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And it is, it is so much, I think, about um, removal of ego in a lot of places that allows other people to thrive. Because again, like I see, and people might disagree with this, but I see my job as a director of new work, as a producer of new work, as a facilitator. I am mm. a conduit for other people's stories. Um, and it's my job to see their vision thrive, mm. not for me to put my vision on top of them. And frankly, that's the approach I take to parenting as well. Like I have two mm. kids. They are their own people. Mm -hmm. It's my job to guide them through this world, but guide them to be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there a particular project that has taught you the most about yourself or a significant amount? Hmm. Oh, interesting. You know, I did this one particular project as a director, crossover director, producer project um, called Sea Wife that I co-created with playwright Seth Moore and a, a folk band of, of artists named The Lobbyists. And we worked on it for 10 years. And it's a piece that, you know, I started with my early director career phase, helped to produce with when I was the artistic director of Naked Angels. We developed it with New York stage and film before I was back on the full-time staff. Um, and so that, that truly was a project that we all grew up <laughs> doing, you know, mm. the, the passion project in your early twenties that ultimately did see production, you know, mm. six or seven years later. And so it taught me so much about budgeting and um, hiring up to like creative communication and how, uh, how you disagree on on work and find your way through that or you don't and where compromise lives. So I think the biggest lessons I've ever learned, especially because it was a long form, it was a multi-year process with people who I now consider my family that like, you know, we all learned a lot about ourselves in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating how fast one can grow in the entertainment industry and how much information there is to take in it's just yeah um how okay so throughout your career how has your taste evolved in what you choose to work on or who, who you choose to work with yeah uh i've come to really value uh 
as a director, as a producer, also um, piece that's really rigorous with this medium of liveness, <laughs> of mm -hmm. communalness, of um, you know, I, I believe that every artist has the right to use whatever medium they want. That's I'm not elitist about how I think people should use it, which is not to say that like someone who chooses to do like a kitchen sink drama, great, fantastic. If that wants to be a live experience, please pursue that. Mm. For me, I want to see work that I cannot see on a screen, that I cannot read on pages, um, you know, that maybe even when you read in script form doesn't do it justice because mm. it has to have that movement and uh you know live oral resonance of, of voices speaking those words in front of you to really be fully experienced um and sometimes you don't you don't know it until you see it in front of you and you're like oh mm. yeah yeah this is a piece of theater mm. um I think I had that experience this past summer with Beth Henley's new play Downstairs Neighbor and Beth Henley's an artist we've supported throughout her career you know this is her 13th workshop stage and film and mm. I was coming up as, you know, a young artist when she was really having a, a big, big moment with her work. Mm. And so Beth is kind of like the seminal artist for me. But, you know, she mm. had this incredible play that we programmed this summer. And then to hear it out loud, it just like elevated it to a level in the stratosphere that like we none of us realized mm. what exactly. Like you saw it on the page, like, yeah, this is great. And then it was in front of you like, oh, this is something really spectacular. <laughs> so my uh appreciation for the the medium itself has adapted um and the in terms of people i want to work with you know i cannot undervalue kindness and um an appreciation that this is a communal art form and that it does actually take all of us in pursuit of the same thing yeah. uh and that there can be uh rigor and disagreement and process um with great respect that those are the best collaborators to me where you can without fear say I don't agree with that <laughs> and talk through why you don't and then find yourselves to a place of better collaboration and 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 product ultimately because you've been through that together yeah well yeah and having I mean it's not it's not a terrible thing to have disagreements but it also requires you to remove your ego so it doesn't get personal <laughs> Which is such a fascinating layer we have in entertainment that you don't have in the um, commercial alarm business or what, any other industry. Or maybe um, they do and we just don't know because none of us have worked in the commercial alarm business for all we I, know. I did. I worked in it during COVID and it does not exist. <laughs> I retract my statement. <laughs> At least it doesn't in South Florida. But okay, uh, journey, journey to New York stage and film. I know uh, it was interim, the position was interim a year ago, over a year ago. And here we are, you know, continuing on with New York Stage. I'm curious the journey to this organization and how you see your time, you know, from this moment forward. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, you know, stumbled upon this organization 15 years ago when I was the producing intern and then yeah. came back uh, as, you know, producing support as an assistant director. I directed within the summer season. So it was on the receiving end of all of our resources. Simultaneously, my producing career was growing. Um, again, sort of accidentally found myself into producing as people were like, hey, I think you might be good at this. And can you help me produce this? And I'm like, oh, I am good at this. Uh, and then in the beginning of 2016, I came back 
I came to the organization full time as you know the associate artistic director. Worked with Joanna Felzer um, and then Chris Burney when Chris came in after Joanna, and then you know in, in early or in fall of 2022. Um, you know, Chris had done the unthinkable before that, which was come in as a new artistic director and then how to facilitate and lead during the unexpected pandemic era and did so with so much, you know, grace and kindness and intelligence and really, uh, you know, can't say enough about Chris's exceptional leadership during that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when Chris decided to not do another contract round and pursue their interests in, in education and producing, we as an organization had to decide what was next for us as we're emerging from this pandemic era. Um, and me having been around for, you know, seven years at that point, it made sense for me to step up and lead. And the board and I had a really thorough conversation about what, in what way that wanted to be. Um, and, you know, I led us to committing to an interim term of at least two years to give us time to then say, where is this organization in pandemic emergence time? What adjustments are we making holistically? What type of leadership do we need holistically? Um, and by doing an interim commitment, it allowed us flexibility to adapt and change if we want and need as we look ahead. Because, you know, we all know it's no secret theaters in a moment of uh, struggle in this moment in time, administratively, financially. And I like to say, like, I am not worried about the art. The craft of theater right now is exceptional. In fact, I see it every day. The business is struggling. And that's okay, too. Um, Understandably. God, we all went through. None of us knew what to do. How could we? Um, And so I think it's smartest for all of us to say, let's take a second (laughs) to evaluate and change as we need to. And I think that's going to help us all have longer uh, presences as organizations. And for us, developmental, it's really important that we do this right because development is dying elsewhere. We've seen colleague organizations go away already who've solely been focused on development. And so we're being very careful about um, how we make change and uh, do so with consultation with the community ultimately that we serve so that we can be here for another 40 years. You know, we're approaching our 40 year anniversary in 2025 and we wanna be here another 40 after that. Um, so yeah, that was a long answer, but because there's no one easy response to like what we're doing. And it's a very, very nuanced approach to how we're managing this moment in time. Are you finding any key key pain points that need to be changed quickly within the organization. I know like we're saying it's getting very expensive. So like a great thing would be to have more money, but that's not necessarily (laughs) what potentially needs to change depending on where you're working and what you're working on. So I'm curious in your background. You know, I think what we were able to do very well is especially when our artists were saying, we are feeling undervalued. We are not feeling like theater is necessarily uh, a place. Oopsie, sorry about that. Um, When we were hearing our community say, we are undervalued and that theater isn't necessarily a place where we can, you know, thrive as individuals, depending on who that individual is. We did a lot to address, you know, making sure that every person can show up in our community as authentically as they can. 
And that we've seen have a very positive impact on everyone who works with us as a staff member, um, as an artist. And the thing, the biggest pain point is, is the financial structure of nonprofit theater. We depend predominantly on contributed income. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of individuals have changed how they give their money and why. Mm. Uh, and it's a slow process to either build that back or identify new funding. Um, and yeah, things do cost more. Um, between, yeah, they do. You know, inflation and also valuing people and paying them equitably and properly. All of that adds up as it should. And so the math ain't mathing in this moment. Yes. <laughs> so it's, you know, sure, a massive influx of cash for all of us that we know is there for the next five years would be fantastic. Is that going to happen? Probably not. So how we address it? I don't know that I have the solution because I'm not an economist. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, You're not? not I thought CPA. that was the whole... <laughs> I, mean, I do not have an MBA. And so this is where um, we consult with people who are smarter about many yeah. things and yeah. say, what do we do? How do we still make sure we are showing up and creating the community that people love, that people have loved for 40 years in a way that makes sure that we're here in another three, five, 10, 40. Yeah. Another great, I mean, it's a great point. Inflation is real and you got to keep up with it. You know, people have a value <laughs> and that uh, needs to be valued. So yeah, it's so true. Are there through the pandemic for you personally, are there any changes you've made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity in your life? My personal life or professional life or both? <laughs> well, both. I mean, personal can, you know, I scroll less on my phone, which helps me deliver better at work. <laughs> so some, maybe not that, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I think what I did find during the pandemic, because I've always been very, very work focused and the pandemic was a very, I think for all of us, a, a laugh in the face in terms yeah. of you know, remembering that life is brief, um, even when it's long and, you know, picking your head up and looking at, you know, the people around you, you love or the trees or, mm -hmm. you know, baking that thing that you love or reading that thing that you love, even if it's in small increments, but doing something for yourself, which can be very hard as an artistic leader as a parent, but even carving out those five minutes as 10 minutes as 15 minutes can actually make a difference. So you don't lose yourself entirely. Yeah. Now that's so true. Um, do you have any most gifted books or favorite books? Mm, um, uh, what I've read it somewhat <laughs> now caveat, I mostly read plays and musicals like hundreds per year. So I don't have a ton of time for books, but the books I have read, the one I read most recently that I found most impactful was um, Crying in H. Bart, um, which is a stunning grief memoir. Uh, uh, the art, you know, artist who's, you know, lead singer of this amazing band, Japanese Breakfast, um, and, you know, lost her mom years ago. And this is, a, a you know, personal to me because I lost a parent seven years ago. And so anyone who can speak eloquently about parental grief, especially when you're young like when you lose a parent before i think the age of whatever it's you're, you're always too young to lose a parent but like for both yeah. of us we lost a parent like around 30 and you're like what like how yeah. 
this does, it doesn't compute in your brain um so yeah that i think is a stunning book and i encourage anyone to read it even if you haven't experienced you know grief of a parent but it's you know very well written and funny and you know humanity is complicated and it's hard and it's painful and anyone who can speak about that through a medium you know that reverberates is you know i glob onto that has that helped significantly speaking about it more often for you Oh yeah. I talk about it all the time. I think yeah. I am a, you know, talk about your grief, talk about your problems, talk about talk, talk, yeah. talk, talk, talk friends. Like when we hold the stuff in and push it down, it hurts. But like, yeah, I'm a big proponent for talking about the dark stuff. Yeah. Well, so many people shy away from it, even like closest friends, they don't know how to respond. You know, it's like this weird taboo thing. And it's like, my goodness, if we could all just communicate more. <laughs> I mean, helps. we are all humans. All humans who hurt. So like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? Mm. A billboard for anybody to see. Um, the words that came to mind were like, breathe and be kind. Uh, I think a lot would be accomplished if we all took a second to breathe through whatever we're feeling. Um, and if we approached most things with the presumption that everyone's trying their best, uh, and that maybe like a modicum, a blip, a drop of, of kindness towards a person um, would result in something better, more productive, less detrimental. I think that would go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Just being more understanding and realizing that everyone is going through something <laughs> or this thing called life, it can make it a, a better experience for all of us. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm I'm really glad we got to take this time. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Um, You know, I think we've all learned over the past few years that art's important. Storytelling is important. I think storytelling saved a lot of people in, in this dark window of time and so however way we can all show up for it yeah. i think that would be important you know support support your local artists support nonprofit art <laughs> show up for it go see it donate to it um yeah we're humans we're always gonna we're always gonna do the thing so if you want to see it stick around we all got to chip in this is great i'm so glad we got to take the time thank you Liz. thank you for your time <laughs> People of the world, Liz Carlson. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. <laughs>